Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Crazy week it's been. So much happening. Uh, so so much to think about. So much to organize. I know that you've been in stores. You've been stockpiling, or you haven't been. You shouldn't have been. Um, but uh, but you may have made two or three. Uh, trips to Woolies or Pick and Pay or wherever you get your food from. Um, I, I panic bought. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I panic bought, but it wasn't extreme. I had tomatoes in my home, and then I bought some more tomatoes. I just thought, you know, maybe I'd need more tomatoes. So that's the extent of my panic buying. But here we are in the midst of such an unprecedented time in our nation, where we are, are literally. Uh, in the midst of a 21-day lockdown, and just the very thought of it is enough to cause anxiety. You know, many times my wife and I, all we want to do is stay home and watch movies, and now we're like, oh no, we have to stay home and watch movies. What are we going to do? I think the most difficult part, if you're like us, we have three young boys, and um, and sometimes you know you need to get away from them a little bit. Now it's just they're they're here a lot of the time, and. And if you're like me and you're a parent, we're praying for you. Um, you know, it's just, it's just moments like these that, um, that can just become so much to think about and, and they can be overwhelming to us. And so I want to encourage you with something this morning. Um, just, you know, the word just has a way of, of breaking through all of the fear, breaking through all of the anxiety and just revealing something powerful to us. I think we live lives that, that are often quite sheltered and, uh, and 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 we've done a lot and we do a lot I think especially in our western world to create a sense of security and safety and comfort for ourselves and whenever that gets disrupted it can really play on our minds you know once you start thinking fear and once that kind of anxiety has started to grip your heart um, it can be overwhelming and, and it can feed into every other part of your relationships and and how you respond uh, you know if if you just small tasks, just little things that would be simple to fix or easy to deal with, and now they're too much. Like when your when your child comes and asks you for a glass of water for the fifteenth time today, you're like, just leave me alone. I'm not the source of your life, you know. And it's just like, mom, dad, I just wanted some water, you know. And 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 things can just feel overwhelming, real quick. It made me think of a time when my wife and I moved into a new home, and we didn't really. We weren't unpacked yet, and we, you know, we weren't sure of the area yet. And you know, every home kind of has its sounds and noises outside and stuff. And you kind of get used to those things if you've lived there for a while. But we were new to this home. We were lying in bed, and it was late at night, probably about one or two in the morning. And we heard a, a very loud noise, and um, and it was coming from outside. And and we weren't sure if somebody was trying to break in or not. But that fear just gripped us in a moment, and and we ended up phoning the security company because just so you know, normally. I'm not afraid. Normally I just go out there, you know, in my pajama shorts and I just take care of business. But on this occasion, not really, but on this occasion, I phoned the security company. I said, please just come out and we're new to the area. We don't know what's happening. They came out, um, you know, the guy parked in the driveway. I said, I heard these noises. He had a bullet, just picture this for a moment. He had a bulletproof vest on. He had a nine millimeter handgun that he had taken out. It was loaded. Safety was off. And we were clearing the garden. I was kind of crouched behind him because I had no bulletproof vest. 
but um, we were kind of walking through the garden and and we were clearing different areas. And I was like, maybe check the garage. Let's just check. I, I even checked under the car. I'm not going to lie to you. I checked under the car just to make sure everything is safe. And when we had gone through everything, I was like, well, there's there's nothing here. So um, I, I, I guess I don't know what that sound was. And then I looked over at him and, and as he was about to leave, we heard this noise and a rustling was kind of happening in the bushes. And all of a sudden, the biggest rat, this side of Joburg, jumped out and just kind of waddled. It didn't even run properly. It was such a clumsy rat that it just kind of waddled across the driveway. And I looked over at him and was like, man, I'm sorry. You know, we were just full on. It was fun, though, you know, just a full on DEFCON 3 going around the garden, clearing rooms and areas and, you know, and it ended up being a rat. And so that's kind of how we can begin to overreact and how we can begin to respond in moments like this right now. And, and you know, leadership, to, to be a, a true leader and to be somebody who's a true believer, the scriptures often call on us to respond differently, call on us to respond in faith where God develops in us. And this is a journey and this is something that I'm trying to get at. And hopefully I can get this across today. But when you begin your, your walk with Jesus, everything is so compartmentalized. Everything is so, you know, because I serve Jesus, my life must go well. I must find the perfect person to marry. I must make the right amount of money. I must have a great career. And everything must go well because I belong to Jesus. And, and we call it the blessing or we call it whatever. But if you've lived any amount of time and you've been honest for any amount of time in life, you'll know that whatever neat little boxes and, and comfortable little circles we try to create for ourselves, God often either disrupts himself or allows them to be disrupted so that we can realize that there isn't safety in those things and so that we can begin to mature in our faith because faith isn't really faith unless there is a need for it. Hope isn't hope if you have what you've hoped for. That's what the Bible, why the Bible says that Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. This is something when you, when, you, when you haven't seen it, when you haven't taken hold of it yet, that's when you need the faith. That's when you need the hope. That's when you need to trust. And so what God wants to take us from is from trusting in Him in, in theory to trusting in Him in earnest and in authenticity um, with a genuine, sincere form of faith. And until that point, your faith hasn't really been tested. That's why the Bible says that, that we should rejoice when we are facing the testing of our faith. And that testing isn't like a pop quiz. It's not like God's like, mm -hmm, I'm going to now see whether or not you have faith. You said you have it, but look, you're, you're afraid. You know, it's not, it's not vindictive like that. I don't think God does that accent either. Um, the point is that, that when it says the testing of your faith, it means the proving of your faith. It means the, the, the removing of impurities. This is something that happens when something, when a precious metal, for example, gets refined and it is put through heat. And as that heat is added and added and added over and over again to the precious metal, all the impurities rise to the top and, and they get skimmed away until it is something that actually reflects the refiner's face. You could look into it and it's like a mirror. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, and this is a verse I, I quote so many times because it it's really shows us what our process with Jesus looks like. But, but it talks about as we behold Jesus as in the mirror, the glory of the Lord as in a mirror, we are transformed. So there is this thing that we begin to see Jesus as we behold him. We look at the gospel. We know his grace. We know his love. But, but we also are able to see Jesus when we look into the mirror 
and we realize we're changing. That's one of the evidences where you go, why am I not afraid the way I used to be afraid? Or why do I have hope or courage in the midst of what I face? Or why am I okay in the season when usually something like this would have completely flawed me? There's a progression of how you're able to deal with things. And ultimately, it is what James speaks about when he says you will be um, complete and mature, lacking nothing. These things lead us to maturity. And it's not just going through hardship that leads us through to maturity. It's actually going through hardship while focusing on Jesus. It's learning to trust in Jesus in the midst of the hardship. And so um, I've just run along there now and just preached a whole bunch of stuff that, that you know, that I hadn't even prepared. But, but I think I'm, I'm trying to get to the essence of the fact that God cares more about your character. He cares more about your faith. He cares more about your true dependence upon him than he does about your comfort. And he will use moments like these to be able to draw you into an adventure. He often disrupts our comfort purposefully. He doesn't allow things to work out exactly the way we had planned it when we started because he was saying, I'm going to take you on a journey that's going to develop you, shape you, mold you, and ultimately refine you and refine your faith so that you can be what? Why would God refine us? Well, one, because he loves us and it blesses us to be refined. Being mature saves us a lot of trouble. Um, you know, all the trouble I've had in my life has been because of immaturity. And there's so many areas that I still need Jesus to help me in. And I'm just thankful for the journey. But, but, but beyond that, because God wants to use us. He wants us to be an effective tool in his hand. He wants us to be um, people that he, can, that he can work through in a powerful way. So it's to give us the ability to be effective in his hand. That's why the Bible says um, in Ephesians 2, it speaks about how we were created in Christ Jesus for good works that were prepared for us beforehand. We are his craftsmanship. Now that means that, that he is like an artist that is chiseling away, molding, shaping at work. And oftentimes, it's moments like the one we're facing in our world right now that God uses to His glory and that He uses to shape us. Now, now you know, what is happening in our world is extreme. Um, and there is reason, you know, it's not even irrational fear. It, you know, there's, there's some, it's affecting our world in a big way. And it's something that we've all had to think about in terms of what our responsible response to that would be and what God would have us do and, and, and you know, what the right thing is in this, in this season. Um, but, and, and let me also say this before I continue, that I know that there are people and people that we know, people in our community, people in our church, in fact, people in my family that have closed down businesses, that have, that have had to let employees go, um, or that have lost their own jobs. And so there's a very real sense of, of loss here, right? And so I'm not at all trying to diminish that in any way, shape, or form. I'm not one of those preachers that comes and goes, no, 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 no just think positive. It's like, well, I won't have a salary at the end of the month. I'm facing some real stuff. Can you just acknowledge that? And so I, I completely acknowledge and am aware of the impact that this is having on many, many lives in our world. But I've also walked my own journey. And, and on top of that, you know, I was just thinking of a time when my wife and I earlier, um, in fact, it was uh, the end of last year, my wife and I visited um, Zimbabwe. We were up in Zimbabwe uh, to do a wedding. There's a couple in our church that was having a wedding out there. And we arrived in Harare. 
Um, you know, we had heard of, you know, just some of the economic collapse and things that had happened in Harare, but we didn't know how bad it really was. And we were staying with a family that we'd never met before. So we were picked up at the airport by a driver and we were taken through to their home. And as we walked into their home, we were thinking to ourselves, well, it's really dark in here. Maybe they're just saving electricity. Turns out that there is no electricity in Zimbabwe. They only turn on the lights between midnight and about 2 a.m. in the morning. The other 22 hours of every day, um, there's no electricity. There's also no water, and they had to use a borehole uh, and switch on a generator just for us to be able to take a shower. And so, you know, when we realized this, we were like, wow, these guys, but yet they were joyful people. And, you know, there was nothing else to do. We couldn't watch TV, and it was kind of quiet, and so we started chatting. There was an older uh, gentleman and, and, and an older lady there that um, the nicest people that brought us out onto the porch, kind of like a screened-off porch, made us some tea, and we just sat there and we just, we just started to chat. And we just started to, because there's nothing else to do. Um, we couldn't check emails. We couldn't do any work. We couldn't, you know, text anybody or, or let anybody know we were safe. You know, we were, there was no electricity, no cell phone signal, anything like that. So here we were, throwback to the 1920s. We're sitting on a porch. We're having tea and we're having a conversation. So we start talking to them and we find out that they had lost their farm in Zimbabwe 17 years ago, it had been, they had been dispossessed of their land, a land, a property that they had bought 35 years earlier as young people and had worked and worked and worked and built up, employed over 250 people, were well-loved in the community. It was their life's work. It was everything that, that they had ever, you know, desired and put into an, and in a moment, um, you know, some army guys walked onto the property and told them you have 12 hours to clear out everything. Um, and, and we're taking this farm. And so within 12 hours, they phoned some friends, they got whatever they could, all of their possessions, um, on a few trucks on a few, you know, buckies and drove them out of there. And, uh, and that was it. They lost their farm. And so, you know, we were just talking to them about what that felt like and all those things. And later that evening we were sitting at dinner and um, we asked them what, it, you know, what life has been like since that time. Um, they had gone on to do all kinds of odd jobs from getting involved with some, uh, you know, working on a mine to um, at one point uh, going to Mozambique and helping farmers catch crocodiles and build crocodile pens on farms. Just they'd, they had the wildest ride um, after that time. Anyways, long story. It comes down to this. I asked them. How would you describe your life after you lost your farm? After you lost everything you had worked for, everything you had invested. For many, that is the worst fear come true. To lose everything and have to start from scratch, especially at an, at an older age. And they used a word to describe what the past 17 years had felt like that I would never have expected them to use. The word that they described it as was fun. I couldn't believe it. I was like, sorry, I didn't, I didn't hear, you know, I heard an F, but what else did you say? It was, <laughs> it was fun. They said it had been fun, but more than that, what they said they experienced was a closeness to Jesus and a dependence upon God. They, they literally had to depend on God for daily bread, for every moment, for every new day. And this is where, you know, so often we don't really get to experience the extent of God's grace. We don't really know how to trust in it because we've, we've never put a demand on, 
on that. We've never been in, a, we've never allowed ourselves to get to that place where we would be dependent upon Jesus. And if he didn't come through for us, you know, when, when you plant a church, when you raise a family, when you, you know, when you, when you do any of these kinds of things, you, you come across these moments where if Jesus doesn't come f- through for me now, um, I'll be lost and, and I'll have to start from scratch and everything will be over. And, and you feel that way. And it is incredible, no matter how many times we've heard it, it's incredible how it amazes us every time when God is just faithful, 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 faithful. That is who he is. And that's what he wants to show us. That's why Jesus says, do not worry, not even about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you'll eat, what you will wear, where you will sleep. I will take care of you. God loves you. He cares about you. You matter to him. And in times like this, we wonder about those things. It makes us doubt the the, the character of God, the nature of God, the intention of God. Is he involved? Does he care? Does he see my situation? And, um, and so this is, this is part of our battle of faith and, and the things that we have to go through. Um, and, and so when the scriptures speak to us about moments like these, I've always been amazed by how guys like Paul in Philippians, in writing to the Philippians, how he, how he just blatantly says things. And, and one of the things that he says to them is, do not be anxious. You know, that's kind of like telling your wife to relax. That, <laughs> husbands, don't, don't do it. It's going to do the opposite. It has the opposite effect. When somebody comes up to you and says, just relax, that makes you anti-relax. Um, and so if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. The, the point is, is that it feels like that. You know, Paul's like, you're facing all kinds of stuff. And, and, and I've often read those scriptures and thought, what does Paul know? about what we're facing here in South Africa in 2020? What does he know about a military lockdown? What does he know about raising kids? What does he know about, um, you know, having, uh, leading a community that's, that's under, you know, you, you begin to think all these, these different things. What does he know about traffic or, or our, you know, crime statistics in our country or, or all these kinds of things we face? We feel like, is it actually relevant? And maybe you felt this way. Is it actually relevant for the Bible, for somebody like Paul to say, hey guys, relax, don't be anxious. Does he know what I'm going through? Does he know what I'm experiencing? And so is this, are the scriptures even a little bit relevant to us um, when they say things like that? And then I'm quick to remind myself of the fact that Paul lived in a time when nations conquered nations and empires battled empires for territory and they would come into a, a city, and if they felt like it was useful, they would take all the people as slaves and, and ex- send them off into exile or march them along or make them join the army, or, or they'll leave them behind and tax them four times the regular amount, you know, just put exorbitant prices on everybody and taxes on everybody and drive everybody into poverty and apply their own rules and their own cultural things and outlaw things that, you know, this is the world that they lived in. If they didn't like you, they'd just raise the city to the ground and and just slaughter everybody. This is the world that Paul lived in. In fact, at the time that he wrote that letter to the Philippians, uh, Israel was a part of, was a territory within or a province within, within, um, within Rome, within the Roman Empire. It had been conquered by Rome. And just five years after he wrote the letter to the Philippians, Christians were being fed to the lions. They were being, were being killed. They were being lit as candles in the streets of Rome just five years later. So I, I remind myself of that. And then I go, okay, if he says that living in the world that he lived, then I'm sure 
that we can also find that. And here's, here's what I want to get to. God calls Abraham. He calls Abraham out of his comfort, like I mentioned before, and says to him, I want you to come out of the land of Ur with your father, with everything, because I have something more for you. You're made for more. I think we don't understand how much we can deal with, how much we can conquer, how much we can achieve, not in our own strength, and I'm going to get to that, but by the grace of God. I think we never know what, how much we can truly do because we never allow ourselves to move beyond our comfort to that place where we're trusting in God. And so a part of your journey with God is that at a point, He's going to call you out of your comfort zone. He's going to say, I want to bring you to this place where your faith is going to be proved, where it's going to be tested, where it's going to be refined. I want you to come out. I want you to follow me. I'm going to make something great of you. And through your life, many other lives will be blessed. That's what he ultimately says to Abraham. Abraham uh, leaves his homeland and he follows after God and God gives him a promise, calls him. God says, I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward, promises him an heir. Promises him descendants like the stars of the skies that in the sky that you cannot even number. Promises him all these things. And, and the promise doesn't come immediately. There's a process before the promise. That by faith and patience, we inherit the promises. There's a, there's a journey. Because God has to do some things in Abraham before he can do some things through Abraham. And this isn't an enjoyable experience for Abraham. He waits. He's getting older. Have any of you... Uh, I just feel like there's some single girls out there that are like, I'm not getting any younger, God. I'm not going to, and I know some of you, but I'm not going to mention your name. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, God says to Abraham, I wanted to do something. And then there's, there's a process and, and it frustrates Abraham. And so we find around Genesis 15, God shows up to Abraham and he says, he says, Abraham, I'm your shield. I'm your exceedingly great reward. And Abraham responds, oh God, what will you give me? Look, my, you know, the, I have no heir. I have no son. The heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. I, all those things you promised, where are they, God? And God reaffirms the promise that he had for Abraham. He says, Abraham, I want you to look at the stars. I want, I want you to know that so shall your descendants be. And it says that Abraham made a choice in that moment. He made a choice to trust in the character and in the nature of God, in the goodness of God, in the faithfulness of God. We used to sing a song in my grandfather's church when I was growing up called, He's Never Failed Me Yet. The Lord Jesus Christ has never me. There's one thing I know that wherever I go, you know the song. Maybe you don't. You should look it up. But, but he's never failed me yet. And Abraham says, okay. I'm going to choose to trust in God. In this moment, I'm going to say, even though I have these feelings, I'm going to instead fix my eyes, not on my feelings, but put my faith in Jesus, fix my eyes on God. And in that moment, it says that it was accredited. He had faith in God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. That is what it requires to have a relationship with God. It requires us saying, God, I trust in you. God, I believe in you. God, I will believe in you even when my circumstances are pointing in every other direction. There's something robust about that kind of faith. It is, it is indomitable. 
It is something that cannot be overcome. It is something that cannot be destroyed. No matter how hardly you are pressed, it cannot be crushed. And, and so Abraham trusts in God. He believes in God. And that point of trust is really the pivot on this whole thing. It's the same. We come back to that Philippian scripture where, where you know, Paul writes and he says, I want you to not be anxious. But then he gives you an action. He gives you an action to take in order to not be anxious. And the action is to pray. He says, do not be anxious, but in all things, make your requests known to God with your prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. He's like, you know, just be joyful, be thankful, be grateful, trust in God and just pray. Now, this is not, these two things are not juxtaposed in the sense that you've got anxiety and prayer. It's more like you have anxiety and you have prayer. Um, in the midst of the anxiety, as you feel it, he says, don't, don't focus on the anxiety, but pray through it. Let, let the prayer be an act. In other words, prayer is the action that, that expresses the faith. And when we pray, praying isn't just going, oh, please, God, oh, please, God. And although if you've prayed that, that's fine. But, but there's something that happens when you pray. You begin to be reminded of who you're praying to. And your focus slowly shifts from what you're worried about to the God that you're trusting in. You go from fear to faith. You transition from, from your temporal you know, situation and circumstance to trust, to saying, okay, God, this is who you are. And as you declare the goodness of God, as you pray it over your own life, and as you begin to cast your cares onto God, there is a, a strength a grace that is released in your life that empowers you to deal with the hardships. I want to um, read to you from Romans 4. It says in verse 18, speaking about Abraham, it says, In hope he believed. In hope he believed against hope. That he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Apparently when you're 100 years old, you're as good as dead. Um, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Listen to this. But he grew stronger, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced, fully convinced, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. You see, Abraham chose to believe in God. And then he began to give God glory. And as he gave glory, he grew stronger. This is something that if you're sitting at home and you're worried, you're worried about your job, you're worried about your kids, you're worried about you know, your career, you're worried about the world, you're worried about the virus, you're worried about what's happening in our nation, give glory to God. What does it mean to give glory? That could be such an abstract concept. It means that you give voice to the you know, like Paul says it this way, 
my one express desire and intention is in life is to become more intimately acquainted with the wonders of his person, with the with with just the beauty of who God is, with his grace, with his love, with his attributes, with the attributes that make him God, his power and his love and his presence and his kindness and his faithfulness. The more you give voice to the faithfulness and the attributes and the glory of God, the more you give him glory, the more you grow stronger. This is the answer to anxiety. The answer to anxiety is to give glory with thanksgiving, to pray, to trust in God and to believe in that, in that way that God cares about you. And what happens when that when we do that is that we are able to take on any challenge. Since we have such a great hope, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, we are very bold. We are very bold because we have such a great hope. It, the, our hope is not in a religion. It's not in a, a ritual. It's not in a principle. Please, it's not in a principle. It's in a person. It's in Jesus. It's in his faithfulness. He's never failed me yet. He's not about to fail you. He's not about to fail our country. He, he is faithful, 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 faithful. And in the midst of this, he will prove his faithfulness to millions across the globe. And that to me is an exciting prospect. It's an awakening. It's a revival. And we are praying that people would turn to Jesus in this time and come to experience his grace and his love in the same way that we have. So I wanted to encourage you with that word today. I hope that that's something that, that you can just take some time every day to give God glory. And you will find that you will grow stronger and that you will have enough left over in your tank after you've done that to take care of every part of your life that needs to be taken care of right now, as well as encourage others. Let's be the salt and light in this world right now. Let's be the encouragers. Let's be the ones sharing hope. That is our mission, Anchor Church. That's what we're here for. And God has given us the grace to do it. We love you. We believe in you. We cannot wait to see you again, but jump online and let us know if you are listening, if you have, have any thoughts, any prayer requests, anything that you need. Communicate with us. You can send us an email at info at anchorjoburg.org. You can jump onto any of our online platforms right now and send live messages through to us and we will be there to answer. But, but we are wanting to encourage you. And for those listening now that have not yet given their lives to Jesus, I want to tell you that as long as you are the center of your own salvation, that was the mistake that Abraham made. He started becoming disillusioned in the faithfulness of God and on the, some bad advice decided to try and have a son with his servant instead of with his wife. He tried to make a plan and we do this. When we feel like we're not so confident anymore in what God is doing, we make our own plan and we end up producing out of the flesh instead of resting in Jesus. This is a time for us to rest in Jesus, to trust in him. And God leads us, it says in Psalm 23, beside peaceful streams. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He is there to comfort us no matter what we walk through. This is the God that we serve. And I want to encourage you, if you don't know the peace of God today, the peace of God is in Jesus. 
It's a peace that transcends understanding. And I want to encourage you, if you've never made this decision or prayed this prayer before, I want to encourage you, go ahead and pray it with me now. It's just a simple declaration of faith. And it's a prayer. It's talking to God. But as you declare it with your mouth, the Bible says, if you believe it in your heart, you're justified. It's that same faith that Abraham had when he said, I choose to believe in God in this moment. So I want to just pray this prayer with you this morning. And, uh, and I know that God is with you um, and that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. So let's go ahead and pray this. And I want to encourage you um, to pray this out loud with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I choose today to put my faith in you. I believe, God, that you sent your son to die on the cross for my sin. And you did that, God, because you love me and you wanted to be reconciled with me. God, I choose today to turn my life towards you, to repent, to receive your forgiveness, to accept your grace. And I believe that in this moment, you have made me a new creation, that I am a child of God, that I can hear your voice, that I can be led by your spirit, and that I can fulfill the plan and the purpose you have for my life. I ask you, God, to come into my life. And I thank you for saving me. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer, please let us know. Send us an email. We'd love to encourage you and, uh, and invite you as soon as we can gather together again to come through and be with one of our community groups and join us on a Sunday morning. Um, but we are proud of you and we believe in the journey that God has for you. It's not always going to be comfortable. It's not always going to feel nice. But there is a proving, there is a deepening, and there is, is a miracle that God is able to do with imperfect people like us as he moves us towards his perfect plan. So I trust that you're encouraged this morning, Anchor Church. Let's keep praying. Let's keep standing together. And uh, we'll see you in the week and again next Sunday. God bless you all.